After a long absence, Arsenal slotted quickly and calmly back into life as a Champions League club and they won their group with room to spare. In the Premier League, they're flying after a festive wobble. So should we be talking about them as a side that can go deep in Europe's Premier competition? I'm Kevin Hatchard and this is Football Only Better. Delighted to welcome my top tipping team back as the last 16 continues. Mark O'Hare has been ignoring all forms of popular culture so he can fully focus on football. Mark Arsenal have the trip to Porto on Wednesday. When we talk about who can win this competition, we talk about Manchester City, Real Madrid, even maybe a mention of Bayern or Inter. Well, Arsenal have beaten Manchester City this season. Should we be talking about them? Uh, I think we have to um, consider them as a, a contender or even a challenger, really. Um, I'm not sure if we talked about it last week when we covered the outrights briefly, but um, if I was looking for an outright bet, I, I want to side who could potentially go toe-to-toe with Manchester City. Um, I think you need to be of that ilk if you're going to be considered a, a contender or challenger. And as you say, they have already beaten Man City and beaten them very comfortably and, and impressively, it should be said. It was at the Emirates, of course, the reverse game is still to come and that'll be a different um, scenario altogether. But um, yeah, I think what Arsenal have done so far this season is compete and compete very, very well against the best teams in the Premier League. And, you know, whilst some people may not like me saying this and I don't particularly feel completely clean saying it myself, but the, the Premier League is the elite league across Europe right now. That's where the riches are at. That's where the best coaches and most of the best players are are, are playing, their tried, playing their trade. So, um yeah, I think Arsenal, I mean, they're third favourites to win the competition. They're not exactly outsiders, um, but they've certainly proven themselves, I think, this season. Uh, and certainly after Christmas, you mentioned the, the sort of uh, changing fortunes they've had. And I don't know what went on in Dubai, but that warm weather training certainly seems to have done the trick in terms of clicking them back into gear. Um, I know they did a lot of work on their dead ball delivery. Uh, they changed the corner kick taker to, to Declan Rice and that's paid dividends almost immediately. Uh, but it just seems to have given them, as well as the FA Cup, I know they sort of faced Liverpool and had a, a fairly decent team out that day, but also the, the winter break in January it just seems to have given them a new lease of life. They look fresher. Um, they look hungrier again. And um, yeah, they've won their first five games of the season or first five games of the calendar year for the first time in their history, which is... Um, you know, quite quite a feat, really. I, I would assume a side like Arsenal would have been able to achieve that previously. But um, yeah, in terms of what they've done so far, they are playing with real purpose again. They're playing with confidence and they're playing with a real ruthless edge, I think, too. So uh, the way in which they utterly demolished Burnley, albeit uh, probably a championship side there, and West Ham. I mean, they were pathetic Burnley, weren't they, on the day, to be fair? They were. So let's even exclude Burnley. But the way in which, you know, few teams will go to West Ham and put six past them. And I think the way in which they controlled and defeated Nottingham Forest at the city ground as well was also exemplary, really. Um, It's very difficult not to have been impressed. And, you know, last season we looked at Arsenal as this kind of thrilling, exciting, engaging team who took us all a little bit by surprise. They were 50 to 1 to win the league and to be leading it for for so long. Things did unravel a little bit after after Christmas or, uh, you know, key key injuries. 
injuries absolutely contributed to that. But there was a little bit of a soft centre to, to what Arsenal were doing. And, you know, in the summer, they seemed to have sort of targeted uh, being a bit more controlled, a bit more solid. And we could see that with the addition of Declan Rice and, and Arteta's tactical tweaks. But, you know, to have Rice now in that midfield, who has been unbelievably good for them, as we probably expected him to be, um, with Gabriel and Saliba fit, they are difficult to beat. And they still have that exceptional attacking ability in forward areas. And they've done all that recently, despite having Gabriel Jesus injured. So, you know, I think it's difficult to dismiss them as 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 anything but a contender and challenger to win, to win the Champions League. And I think this midweek is going to be quite interesting because, um, you know, if we talk, look at Arsenal defensively, uh, I couldn't believe they only conceded two shots on target across the last three Premier League games, which is incredibly good. And they're going to make life difficult for Porto. Let, let's not be sort of beat around the bush. Going to Porto and going to the Dragao is is a difficult place to go, that sort of cliche. I always like kind of siding with Porto as, as big underdogs in Europe at the Dragao. Um, I did so in the group stage against Barcelona. Um, they came up short. They performed pretty well, though, in both of those matches against Barcelona. But this is a step up in class to where Barca were. I think most people would agree Arsenal are a cut above Barca right now. Uh, and Porto are seven points off the top in Portugal. They've lost both of their games against their fellow big three sides, albeit away from home. But they were nilled in both of those matches. And if you look at their goal-scoring tally this season, they've only scored 37 league goals, which is a decent distance away from Benfica, from Sporting, and Braga as well. So... You look at their Champions League form, exclude the game against Barcelona. The group is fairly forgiving. You know, Shakhtar unable to play at home, Antwerp being completely outclassed. Um, now, I love Sergio Conceição. I think he'll be coaching in Europe's top five leagues sooner rather than later. And he is able to sort of concoct a plan which will aim to sort of frustrate and intimidate and utilise the kind of counter-attack here against Arsenal. But ultimately, you would back the Premier League team of Arsenal to, to potentially come out stronger here. So I was a little bit surprised to see Arsenal at, at kind of eight to 11 on, on the, uh, on the exchange to win the game. I thought they might be slightly shorter than that. Um, Barca about 1.85 to win here earlier in the competition. So um, yeah, it's still a little bit short for me. So I've kind of included under four and a half goals. I just don't see this game escalating into a, into a shootout. It's not Porto's way. Um, and I don't think Arteta or Arsenal would want to engage in that either. So yeah, I saw them do a very professional job, albeit a, a a poor severe side earlier in the group stage. I think they've had their sort of wobble in this competition. I think that the Lons defeat kind of served as a real big wake up call for Arsenal. I think they were kind of surprised by the intense atmosphere uh, and the performance from the home side. They shouldn't be sort of suffering from any sort of similar characteristics here. And I just expect them to go there and, and produce a, a performance which uh, ekes out kind of a low scoring victory. So, um, yeah, I think Arsenal, in answer to your question, are contenders for the Champions League, but I think they should be able to get a, a victory midweek too. We're leaning into the kneeling, are we? We've had uh, mention of being kneeled already. Uh, Mark O'Hare's going to stick Your with favorite. that one. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, after a strong debut last week, Sky Sports' Lewis Jones is back. Lewis, as Mark says, the old cliche, never easy to go to the drag out and get a result. And Arsenal, to be fair, did go out to sporting in the Europa League. So they got knocked out by Portuguese opposition last season. But it feels like they've come on a couple of steps since then. Yeah, absolutely. I think since they've come back from the winter break, which um, Mark referenced there, um, shows you what a bit of sun can do, I suppose. Everyone's a bit more happier with a tan, aren't they? So um, they're, they're, I, I there wouldn't is a, know, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> I, I go from a 4 out of 10 to a 7 out of 10 with a tan, so I'm, uh, I'm very much on the tan bandwagon. So I can see where um, where uh, Mikel's going with that. Um, I'd say there's a, there's a bit of an aura developing around them again, I think, since they've, since they've come back. I mean, it was a... 
it was a very easy victory on Saturday against Burnley, just swatted them aside, no problems. And uh, just expanding on what Mark was saying about their change in style, actually. My, my colleague at Sky, Nick Wright, who writes some great stuff on Arsenal, he used the term, they've gone from chaos to control this season. And I think that's a really nice way of, of, of summing up where what Arteta's tried to do with that team. They're sort of more business-like, I'd say. Get to the, they get the job done and they're, they're moved on to the next one, especially in the, their, their current mood. And just that, that change of style is seen through their expected goals. Their, their games last season featured the six most expected total goals per match in the division. And this season, they've featured the third fewest. So the entertainment factor sort of dropped off and um, they're very much results-based. Now, there's maybe a little bit more of the Man Cities about them as well. Um, perhaps Arteta has sort of trained Arsenal to mirror Man City's ability maybe to play their best in the final four months of the season. I suppose if you can't beat them, then copy them. And maybe that's what Mikel's done um, in terms of his work with uh, Guardiola. And yeah, defensively, they are just an absolute beast, aren't they? Um, they possess the best process in the Premier League when it comes to expected goals against. I think boasting a per 90 average of 0.73 per game, which is is title winning um, metrics, really. It's a simply a phenomenal number. And even the the more traditional metrics like the clean sheets, they've got 10 in the league and actual goals conceded 22. So they, they lead the charts on in, in that regard as well. You've got William Saliba, Gabriel, protected by Declan Rice in front. That's a, that's a truly awesome access really to, to build um, a really successful winning football team. So um, yeah, with, with, with those two, those, those three in tandem, it's, it's, it's really difficult to see how uh, Porto can give them too many problems, I think. On, on, on the night um, and since the last since the start of last season in all competitions Arsenal can boast a 69% win ratio when Saliba and Gabriel start together and without them it drops to 55% so again it just adds a bit more um, evidence to the fact that how important those those two are but how do we turn well that was the into- whole problem Lewis wasn't it last season when Saliba yeah. got the back injury that was game over wasn't it yeah. and less Rob Holding you know decent player and all but a massive drop off from Saliba yeah, absolutely. And is, is there a better centre back in the Premier League at, at the moment? I, I would argue, I would argue not. And even perhaps he's borderline one of the best in the world at the moment. And I, I saw some prices actually, not not with Betfair, but for him to win the Player of the Year. Um, I know they don't, don't doesn't normally go to a defender, but he's two hundred and fifty to one to win the PFA Player of the Year. And I know defenders don't really get votes, and that's something I found out when back in Ruben Diaz at massive prices to win it a few years ago when he won every award bar the PFA Player. He won the Football Writers, he won the <laughs> Premier League one. But he didn't win the PFA one. So, um, and Kevin De Bruyne, I think, he played twelve minutes that season. Managed managed to win that. You just can't trust footballers to make the right decision, can you? Never mind. Moving on. Um, so, yeah, how can we turn this, these ridiculous defensive numbers into a betting angle? And Arsenal's win at Burnley was the fourteenth time in twenty nine away games where Saliba and Gabriel started that the, they've won without conceding. So, your famous win to nil. Um, uh, thing that you mentioned a, a minute ago. So that works out as a 49% strike rate from quite a healthy sample size results. And it's got to be a runner in a game, Arsenal, one to seven, a 1.7, sorry, on the exchange to win. Um, an early look on the exchange shows you can get 2.75 on an Arsenal uh, win to nil without conceding. So I think that's a, a nice, nice edge to, to get on your side, especially against a, a Porto side. When, how, 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 my, I'm looking at this at how, where would you rate Porto in comparative terms to a Premier League side? Um, and you think a, ch- a team in the Champions League last 16 should be rated at least as good as maybe Brighton or Aston Villa. But looking at Arsenal's prices, they've gone off against um, in the Premier League away from home. 
They went off 1.83 on the opening day away at Palace. They went off 1.65 at Everton, 1.61 at Brentford. So the, the market have Porto rated along similar lines too, maybe Everton and Brentford. And yeah, I, I, the Arsenal won, won both those games to nil. So I, I can see a similar, a, a similar evening where the defensive structure um, causes Porto to hit their head against a brick wall, I think. And I think that win to nil price at 2.75 is the way to go. And of course, Porto have been smashed by Liverpool a couple of times in the last 16 of the Champions League. So whether that plays into it a little bit, whether the market thinks they're not going to be able to bridge that gap to a top Premier League team, last but not least, odds compiler, tipster and connoisseur of the finest beach and pool inflatables. Mark Stinchcombe is here. Stinch, what's your assessment of Arsenal in this competition? Um, well, I think the guys have given a good... Um, representation of Arsenal's ability um, so I'm glad that I don't have to um, I'm not sure there is that to me they don't look aesthetically they don't look fantastic but you can't really argue with the the stats that are being borne out and uh, obviously right in the, the middle of a, of a title race uh, three-way title race which is um, which is great obviously for for the neutral they're only one to five to qualify from this tie which you know is something maybe you might associate with uh you know, a first a first round of Europa League, for for example, and we're talking about the the knockout stages around sixteen. So, yeah, it, it's um, they're they're rated obviously very heavily. They're eleven to two to win the competition, which hasn't moved since the matches last week, um, which you could argue is is reasonable if you want to get involved there when you bear in mind obviously Bayern lost the first leg 1-0 Real Madrid only got a 1-0 lead obviously it's driven by the fact that City have been cut from uh, 11-5 into 6-4 following that 3-1 win in Copenhagen um, but the, I think the issue here is you don't know who they're going to draw in the next round yeah, it was like course. the World Cup yeah I think if you, it was like the World Cup and you knew the path obviously I think from the next round we know we know what the quarter and semi-final paths will be um, so if Arsenal get through that 11-2 to two, could only go into like 5-1 to one, so that might be the way to play if they get obviously if they get a good draw the 5-1 to one probably be clipped and say 4-1 to one, but at least you know all the information I don't think I don't think it would make sense to go oh yes I'll back Arsenal 11-2 to because they're 1-5 to five to qualify and then they draw Man City like you know I don't I don't think that would be the, the way to go but yeah I, I don't see I don't see a problem for Arsenal to, to get through here um, I'm quite glad the guys haven't really touched on Porto much because I don't think there's anything to be scared about, to be honest. Um, there's really not a lot that worries me in in this Porto team um, since sort of days gone by of your Hulks, Falcao, Hamas, Rodriguez. Um, you know, I, I just don't see anybody in the team that, that scares me. I mean, Pepe is going to be 41 next week. Like, how, how is how is that going to how is that a Champions League? I mean, there's some quality there, back? though, isn't there? Mediterranean's obviously an experienced goal scorer. Evan Nielsen's done well. Galeno's done pretty well, although you know that group wasn't the strongest that they came out of. Yeah, I mean, Evan Nielsen three goals in 22 Champions League games, and they've all been against Belgian teams. Like, uh, <laughs> sorry, four four goals we scored in three of them. Like, you know, that's not anything to be excited about, unfortunately. And then after that, there's not really anyone in terms of goal scoring. And I'm I'm quite pleased actually because I because when we looked at Porto v Barcelona and back to back Barcelona way back in October, I I, I thought that it was 
Octavio that was the real big miss in central midfield. Yeah. He was their fourth top goal scorer from last season, joint most assists. And he was really the metronome that the team played through. He was averaging the fourth most passes. Um, and he was also by, playing by far the most key passes. And looking at them since that, since October onwards, there hasn't been anybody that's really stepped up. So it is no surprise that they've only scored 37 goals in 22 games in the league. You know, that's not something that you normally associate in Portugal. Benfica have got 52 goals. Sporting have scored 58, to put it in perspective. So these that 37 is a real, real low number. Uh, both games against those two, they've lost without scoring. Uh, and obviously beaten home and away by Barcelona. So yeah, there's nothing here for me that that really uh, scares me from a from a Porto perspective. Um, we know how much the market respects Arsenal. They went off six to five at home to Liverpool, two to one at home to City. You know they've got Newcastle coming up. They're four to eleven to beat Newcastle at home. Now that that's not something you'd, you'd associate. I mean, that's obviously got um, the fact that Newcastle have gone backwards a little bit due to injuries and things like that. But uh, yeah, five wins in a row, aggregate score of 21 to two. And, you know, I'm glad you mentioned uh, Liverpool because been to Porto three times since 2018 and won 5-1-4, 1-5-0. And, you know, that was a better Porto team, in my opinion. So I think, as Mark was speaking about, it gives you a real idea of the gap between the Premier League and the Portuguese League. So... I'm not too enamoured by Arsenal's price, but I think when you have everything up um, mathematically, I do think Arsenal at 1.72, just keep it simple and back Arsenal to win here. Well, injury time goals can be a pain in the pocket if they ruin your bets and now you've got 90-minute payout to rescue you if the clock hits 90 minutes and you've got the right result as it stands. Your bet wins when the match ticks into injury time. T's and C's in the description, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. Elsewhere on Wednesday, two faded champions do battle as Napoli take on Barcelona. Barca scraped a win in Vigo at the weekend. Napoli needed a late equaliser to draw with Genoa at time of recording. There's a lot of talk that Walter Mazzari, uh, the coach of Napoli, is going to be sacked uh, and replaced uh, by Francesco Calzona, who has been an assistant with Napoli a couple of times and is the current Slovakia boss. Lewis Nye, the team, looks convincing right now. No, you're right. And I think I'd be more excited if this game was last season, really. We had the Napoli of last season. Um, it's such a, it's got such a prestige name to this fixture, but I'm not, I'm not getting too excited about it, to, to be honest. It, from the betting point of view as well, that it's a very tight encounter predicted with seven to five on the sports book for um, each of the pair and the draw at 15 to eight. So you, that sort of sums up really how, how tight this fir- first leg's going to be. And I've, I've gone elsewhere from the, match outright prices for for, for an angle in. Um, you might need to help me with this. The, the Georgian lad on the wing, Kev. Um, oh, Kvitsha Kvaratskhelia. There he is. Or Georgie King Klatu, <laughs> we could call him. That's probably uh, capable of doing that. Just but, call him um, Faradona. That's what they call Faradon. him. Faradona. There we go. Well, he's, he's not playing like Maradona at the moment in terms of his um, goal contributions. He's only got one in his last seven starts, which is a bit disappointing for a player of his skill and ability and I watched him a few times last season was really impressed by him so that's um, on the on, on the basis of that that's that's quite disappointing but the underlying performance metrics suggest he's still posing a major threat and I think his output might spike soon enough in those seven starts in Serie A where he's only got um, one goal assist he's actually averaged 3.8 shots per 90 with 11 of those shots on target and his XG figure is 0.23 per 90 which is still pretty healthy 
um, sort of belies his poor output, really. And Betfair, Betfair are going 15 to 2 for him to score first. Um, it's a standout price um, amongst the in- in- industry. So, yeah, that looked like a potential angle in, but it's, it's, it's not a game um, where I'll be getting too heavily involved in. Stinch, both teams are a bit of a mess, to be honest. Barca are picking up results, actually, but not looking convincing at all in doing it. And we know that Xavi's going at the end of the season. He looks like a broken man. He looks like he's desperate to to get out of there. And Napoli, just nowhere near where they were last season. Yeah, it's almost two teams that you kind of want to oppose. Um you don't really want to get either on side. I, I think, despite the names, I think a lot of teams, City, Arsenal, uh, Madrid, would be quite happy to draw either one of these two in, in yeah. the next round. Um, I don't think it would hold too much um, scared. Um, they, would, they wouldn't they would be worried at all uh, about either of them. I mean, we've spoken about uh, Mazzari recently. He, he actually deployed uh, Kavashkilia as a number 10 against Milan. Like, he just, he just hasn't a clue what he's doing. You know, his best position is clearly left wing. Like, um, so yeah, Mazzari... Uh, you know, should be like Gattuso. Gattuso fired from from uh, from Marseille. Uh, Matt Zari shouldn't even be in in a job. He should be. I don't know. Syria B, Syria C, probably. Um, Xavi. Oh, I he's think had long- success at places, but it's doesn't feel and never has felt in recent years like a coach that's on the up or a coach that's particularly progressive. He has had some teams that have been exciting and successful. You know, he's not a complete dropout, Matsari, but it was a very odd move at a time when they really needed an inspirational left field approach. And it was left field in the wrong way. Yeah, I mean, I would. I mean, I don't want to sound too harsh, but I would say he hasn't evolved with how football has has moved on. You know, he's still using the same methods that he was ten, fifteen years ago, and it feels like Napoli didn't really think through the plan or didn't really have a plan. Post Gar- <laughs> that's De Laurentiis. I mean, yeah, post Garcia as well. Uh, I mean, even to hire uh, Rudy Garcia was quite mad, and then even some of the stuff they're doing behind the scenes, like um, you know, they've left Zielinski out of the the Champions League. Uh, uh, squad um, mm. probably because he's moving to Inter yeah that's well, exactly that. what it is he didn't yeah. sign a new contract De Laurentiis threw his toys out the pram and said right well we're not going to put you in the Champions League squad yeah. then why he's one of your best players what are you doing it's yeah, very odd and then they were shopping around for a centre-back and then decided against it. And then they said, oh, yeah, we love Leo Ostergaard. And I'm sure that does Ostergaard all the world of good. So, yeah, they're, they're managing it really, really badly, obviously. I mean... Um, well, Aussie men, the TikToks, the Aussie men TikToks. Yes. And the ridiculous. They, yeah. uh, they basically went to war with their own player. It's, I just don't understand it at all. Yeah, and from what I understand... Uh, Osman's not fully fit either. He's probably only going to manage maybe an hour at best. So yeah, he's been struggling for ages, really. Yeah. Yep. So everything says you want to oppose Napoli, but obviously, you know, Barcelona, as you as you referred to, have not been in the greatest shape either, and have been winning games 
in spite of the performances rather than the performances being the one that's the driving the success. Um, there's no Zhao Felix or Ferran Torres likely for them. Um, so it's, it's a real struggle to, to really what to decide what to, to back here. I think arguably no bet is, is, is the way to go because of so much uncertainty and inconsistency. Um, it's 8-11 to 11 for over 2.5 goals. Um, not something that I'm going to back, but given the fact that 14 of Barcelona's last 17 have gone over 2.5 goals, it was just something worth flagging up. But I'm not going to back it because it's a first leg. Mark, we talk all the time about trends and about what's sustainable, what's not sustainable. We talked a lot last season about Barcelona and Marc-Andre Stegen having an unbelievable season. And we looked at those defensive numbers in terms of the goals they were conceding. And we said, this is great now, but surely they're not going to be able to maintain that. Lo and behold, this season, all the chickens have come home to roost. Yeah, 100%. Um, you know, Barcelona were, were quite comfortable La Liga winners last year under Xavi. There was no denying they were the best team in Spain last season. But I think anyone who saw La Liga or saw Barcelona at close quarters could see that this was a team who were overachieving based on their actual points output, based on the goals against that they conceded. You know, there was a lot of sort of lauding of Barca for their defensive um, ability with a clean sheet record and, and the goals against column. But the reality was something very different. And, and yeah, you're right, Ter Stegen was was unbelievable, as was, uh, you know, Araujo and, and Kunde, uh, last-ditch tackles, etc., and so on. Uh, but the collapse has been <laughs> um, a surprise. Spectacular. Um, <laughs> it has been, yeah. Um, I mean, these two teams, I think Lewis referenced it, if these two teams were playing this game 12 months ago, I would be so excited to see this match. But the decline and the mismanagement of both clubs since then has, has been quite embarrassing for both clubs, really. And I think Napoli's is perhaps more understandable. We always knew there was going to be a huge outpouring of emotion when they got that Scudetto title. I, I kind of think most people with a sane football brain would have assumed there might be a little bit of a hangover this time around, even without the, the nonsense that went on behind the scenes in allowing Spalletti to leave and De Laurentiis basically not kind of adequately paying his players what they perhaps felt they were owed after winning the league title and, and seeing a lot of kind of unhappiness behind the scenes. Um, then the uh, very strange managerial appointments as Stinch has covered already. It's been a bit of a tailspin since probably last May, really, and it just continues to kind of get out of control. Whereas Barcelona, I think, is is perhaps a bit more fixable. They still have some real big stars in that squad. Um, they have been good enough to to sort of compete and challenge with Real Madrid for the most part. But, you know, Xavi's decision to leave has, has kind of left things a little bit open, really. And the injuries haven't helped. Lewandowski's lack of contribution hasn't helped either. But they do have Ter Stegen back now. The, the issue I have with them right now is they're playing uh, Andreas Christensen um, at the base of the midfield three as a kind of holding player. I know he's able to do that, but it's it doesn't fill me with massive confidence. And this was probably the one game of the the four first legs this midweek I was looking towards potentially backing goals. But having analysed this game in a bit more depth now, I actually want to get against Napoli. Uh, surprisingly, I want to be with Barcelona in some way here. So we can get them on side with a plus zero eight and handicap start at 195, which is 
Fair enough, I think. Um, going forward, they're more trustworthy, I think. They've got more options, more punch in, in forward areas, whether that's Yamal, um, uh, Pedri, or Rafinha, uh, and Gundogan from midfield. There's a lot going for them. Defensively, I think individually they're stronger than, than Napoli, maybe not systematically, but um, there's just less chaos, I think, surrounding Barca. And yes, they've been getting results whilst not playing particularly well. They did that during the group phase against Porto. Um, are Porto and Napoli on a similar sort of scale right now? Potentially. Uh, and ultimately, it's quite surprising, despite being pretty awful for the most part. They've only lost three games all season in the La Liga and the Champions League. Gavi's basically the only major absentee for them this midweek, whereas Osman could be missing for Napoli, which is a huge blow. Um, their attacking output has been pretty dreadful and dreary in recent weeks and months. They've really stuttered and stumbled in the last couple of games at the Maradona, uh, playing Genoa, Verona, Salernitana. Um, they've genuinely just limped over the line to get some points out of those games. Uh, the only match they've won in 14 against... Sorry, they've only won one match in 14 against teams in 12th and above in Serie A. Um, um, just three clean sheets in La Ligue and in the league since September as well. Um, you know, it all ends, you know, things just are failing right now. And I looked at their output against the strongest opposition since December. Your favourite word uh, coming up again here, Kev, but they've been nilled yeah. and lost <laughs> to Juventus, uh, Inter twice, Roma, Torino, Milan, and they drew nil-nil with Lazio. So zero goals in seven games against their toughest domestic opponents since December, six defeats. And I thought they made a bit of a pig's ear getting out of that group, which was quite generous in fairness. Yes, you had Real Madrid, but Braga and Union put them under huge pressure. Yeah, they pushed um, it a lot to... later than they should have, really. Yeah, I, I wasn't impressed at all. Um, I thought Braga could have done a job on them a couple of times, but so be it. Um, I think Barcelona just have that bit, bit too much quality for them. If, if they continue to sort of churn out these dreary efforts, I think Barca have the ability to avoid defeat at the very least. It's the Diego Simeone derby as Atletico Madrid visit his old side Inter. Stinch, I really like the look of this, actually. Uh, A, there's going to be some violence. B, I think they've got great players on both sides of the ball. Um, And Inter, for me, I know I keep saying it and it's not a revelation to anyone, but they feel like the best team in Italy by such a distance at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I've been really impressed with not only they seem to regularly win the big games, they also keep the opposition out. It's nine clean sheets uh, against Juventus, Napoli twice, Lazio twice, Sociedad, Roma and Fiorentina twice. And in the games that they have conceded in, they've generally limited them to, to one goal. It was 1-1 one, one, one at Juve, 1-1 one, one at Sociedad. I think we can kind of forgive the, the madness at, at Roma, um, given it was Daniele, Daniele De Rossi's first few games in, in charge, but they still ran out, obviously, 4-2 uh, winners. I want to kind of begin this one with uh, an update regarding in the away goals rule because we're now in the third season since the away goals has been scrapped and the reason it was scrapped um, from UEFA they said the impact of the rule of the away goals rule now runs counter to its original purpose as in fact it now dissuades the home teams especially in first legs from attacking because they fear conceding a goal that would give their opponents a crucial advantage so obviously we've removed the away goals rule so now we should have lots of goals in the first legs right yeah so, loads of home teams going for it like exactly crazy. exactly so out of the 32 first legs since the rule's been scrapped how many games do you think kev we had over two and a half goals oh out of 32 it's, it's got to be high it's got to be high right because they removed the goals so they moved the no rule, this so feels like goals. a 
a botched UEFA attempt. I'm going to say, I'm going to say 10. Eight. Eight. Wow. 25% of first legs have, have been over 2.5 goals. And if you remove the madness that is Man City and Real Madrid, it's just two of 20 games have seen over two and a half goals. So it's really backfired in my mind. I think 32 games is a reasonable sample size over over two and a half years to say it's weird though isn't it because you kind of you look at the the idea of it and it kind of makes sense but what do you put that down to that it just hasn't worked at all um i i think teams no but when the, when you had the away goals rule when teams went away i think they sort sort of thought we could have a little go, you know, lads, again, this away goal because it's worth double. Well, the away team, you mean? Yeah. And yeah. now it's like, yeah. well, actually, if we just sit in and we'll just use the home advantage in the next leg, and then probably the home teams are like, well, we don't want to, you know, we don't want to give the opposition anything, even though like the away goal rule doesn't exist anymore. But uh, if the away team is sat really, really deep and, you know, they, you know how you see in like, I don't know, a World Cup final or any sort of final where, you know, a team plays with a bit of the handbrake on. I think yeah, that's don't make a mistake. Don't make yes, a mistake. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And well, you know what, if we get, if we only get a draw, we'll go to the away game and, and try and win it there sort of thing. So I think that's probably kind of what's happened. Football might sort of evolve again, you know, when we think about Champions League probably 15 years ago or so when we had sort of Benitez and Mourinho running it, it it was kind of that the approach of being tight and defensive was was the one to to go with but obviously nowadays Guardiola has kind of shown that if you be proactive you've got a better chance of winning football matches so football might move again we know it's quite it is quite it does evolve every sort of few years generally um so it might change again but yeah so I think in this game despite the fact that obviously Atletico have I changed their approach a little bit in terms of being um, more offensive. I think that's probably more in the, the games they're expected to go and win rather than the bigger games. If you look at them away from home um, in against sort of so-called bigger teams, if you like, maybe not their, the league position. Um, they've lost 1-0 at Sevilla. They drew 1-1 at uh, Real. They lost 2-0 at Bilbao, 1-0 at Barca. Uh, they drew 1-1 at Lazio and they drew 0-0 at Betis. Um, and there's obviously no Alvaro Morata, who's a top goal scorer for Atleti this season with 19 goals. So given the fact that Inter have been so, so efficient um, in terms of winning games and, and not conceding, um, I'm, I'm going to go for under 2.5, 2.25 goals here at, at evens, um, because I think it could be, it could be nil, nil or, or maybe one nil or two nil Inter. I, I'm, I would like to see it play out in terms of being goal heavy, because I think both teams have got fantastic attackers that you'd like to see, but, uh, but based on and everything we know, I think it will, will probably be tight and cagey. And I think Simeone will probably return to type a little bit. Yeah, Lewis, there's an argument to say Antoine Griezmann is one of the world's best players, I, I think. You know, you look at his performance in La Liga, it's been absolutely stellar over the past year or so. However, a lot of it does tend to be at home. Atletico are nowhere near as good away from home, are they, as they are at the Metropolitano? No, they're not. And this is why I'm sort of leaning towards Inter um, in this matchup. And I'm, I'm hoping that Griezmann... Um, gets dumped out of the competition just for my Phil Foden um, long-term angle for the goal scorer market as well. So there's a little bit of selfishness going on going on there. Um, I actually treated myself to watching Inter on Friday night. I had a bit of a break from parenthood and 
managed to to catch the game um, late on. So a lot of them, a lot of good judges have been tipping them up at 16s to to potentially be the the main threat to Man City. So I thought I'd I'd, I'd give them a bit of a closer watch. And I, it was I was excited to see that uh, in goal for uh, Salen, well sorry Salen Nitana, sorry the Italian team was uh, Guillermo Achoa. Achoa, uh, yes, yes, yeah. he of the wonderful hair, yes, absolutely, absolutely yeah. He was um, brought back some magical memories of World Cups gone by, where he single handedly <laughs> um. Stopped Brazil once, I remember, at one of those World Cups. But it was a, a busy night for him at the San Siro, aged 38. And I think it might have been enough to retire someone, to be honest. He um, into one 4 nil, created an XG of 3.99 from 26 shots. And the visitors only had one shot, which came from 30 yards. So it was a, the definition of a battery. And I was, I know it was a real big mismatch um, in terms of where they are in the table, but it really was a... Uh, I was really impressed with how how Inter went about it actually, and there was the two up top that I really liked as well, Turam and Latoro Martinez. They're yeah. a really dangerous duo, aren't they? And there's, I think there's something quite nostalgic and beautiful about a um, two brilliant strikers working in tandem like they do. It's quite old school, isn't it? But my mind sort of drifts back to the likes of Shearer and Sheringham at that Euros, where it's probably that goal against the Dutch was probably my favourite England goal. Um, that Sheridan scored. Um, sorry, that Shearer scored, didn't they? And then you got the York and Cole partnership from the, the treble years at um, Manchester United. And of course, Kevin Gallen and Paul Furlong from QPR's promotion winning well, team. Well, of course. 2004, where, yeah, <laughs> I, think the word, I think the word is unplayable. I'm sure Mark O'Hare will vouch for that. Um, but um, both uh, Turam and Martinez both scored at the weekend. And um, I suppose the market is, is dominated by um, Martinez because he's he's got 20 goals now in in uh, in the league. Um but he, he, is he is he a bit of a flat track bully, Martinez? I mean, nine of his twenty league goals have come against um, Salah, Natana, and Monza this season, and he's only got five goals in his last fifteen Champions League starts. My mind just drifts back to the to the World Cup where I was on him to be the the top goal scorer for Argentina, and despite playing for the winning team, he managed to somehow failed to score in the tournament and was just generally quite awful. So wasn't quite I'm, fit, was he? Though was part of it. Fair and then enough. obviously Alvarez comes in and elbows him out the way. Yeah, absolutely. I think he I think he did. He had a few chances, big chances in in the tournament, just uh, just from um, from my memory. So I, I still haven't. I've got trust issues. I think with Martinez. So I'm going. I'm I'm looking towards Turam um, in the goal scorer market. I think he's a a bigger goal threat and more the complete player. He's got um, 12 goals across all competitions this season. He's going at a rate of nearly a goal every 180 80 minutes every two games or so, which is which is fine. Um, and I think he's he's taken them up a level this season. I think he's an upgrade on Lukaku and Edin Dzeko. And even though they got to the final this season, there is a, probably an argument that suggests they're a better side all round. So it's quite, I can definitely see why people have um, sided with them at 16s to to go quite deep. Um, and he's two round his best price in the industry, 11 to two to score first um, with Betfair. So I think that's, I think that's a nice edge to play. And in a game where the goal expectancy is, is low as Stinch's, first leg numbers brilliantly outlined a minute ago I think I'd rather chance the bigger price in the first goal scorer market um, than take the 11 to 5 for any time so yeah two rounds to score first was the angle I'll be back in It's been lovely working with Lewis but after that Lautaro slander uh, it may well be his final show <laughs> we will see uh, Mark um 
We owe a debt to Daniel Farker because it was Daniel Farker who said to Turam, you shouldn't be playing out wide. Let's play you through the middle. And it's worked very well indeed. It is remarkable, isn't it, considering it's been a kind of wide forward for much of his career. And then he's been played through the middle at Gladbach, scored loads of goals. Suddenly, we're talking about him as one of the, one of the finest centre forwards around. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, I was quite excited when I saw the move coming about for, for him to move to Gladbach to Inter I thought that was that was quite exciting but I was kind of leaving it open I wasn't quite sure how it was going to fit obviously you could see how he would take up Edin Dzeko's position and partner Lataro and potentially there was going to be something quite special there but I've been quite surprised of how quickly he's adapted to to, to sort of partnering Lataro and leading the line alongside him. Um, but the beauty I like about this Inter team now is, is you pretty much know the starting eleven straight off the bat, as long as there's no injuries uh, or suspensions. And, and the back three in particular is, is very, very strong with Pavard joining the crew from Bayern Munich to play in his preferred centre-back position as part of the back three. Uh, you've got wing-backs who are interchangeable. Uh, Simeone Exagi normally does that after about an hour or so uh, to keep them fresh. You've got a very strong midfield three. You've got a lovely balance about them. The passing range of all three of them is exceptional. Uh, all three of them like to get forward and, and try and score goals. That's Chalanoglu, Mkhitaryan, and uh, who am I forgetting? Uh, Barella as well. So all around, yeah, they're, they're just a very strong unit. And Anala left last season, but I think it's lovely to see Jan Sommer come into the team and, and kind of show what a steady hand he can be between the sticks as well. So I think defensively, they're very, very sound. And going forward, they've got that balance of, of physicality, of trickery, of skill, of, of blend, um, of passing range uh, and width too, which can cause teams real problems. And um, yeah, they're going like a steam train domestically. They are, as you said at the start, the, the standout side in Italy by a long way, uh, as they proved in the Derby d'Italia against Juventus recently. So it's very difficult to oppose them. Um, although this is a, a tricky game on paper. I mean, Atletico um, are a very different side to the side that reached the Champions League final or even won La Liga in, in the last decade. That team was very much built on defence and Simeone seems to have moved away from that to a bit more freedom to his attacking players, giving them a bit more licence. Um, and they've been really good fun to follow for the most part. But um, I think we have to assume Atletico will revert to type here, um, try and nullify Inter's threats and play on the break. They do lose Morata most likely here, which is a, a blow. He's had a really good season with his own partnership with Griezmann. And uh, they'll be interesting to see how they approach here. They did start with Lorente up front at the weekend and he scored twice. Uh, they did make many changes actually against Las Palmas too but um, be interesting to see if he goes with uh, Lorente again or if Depay comes into the side but even still I think someone alluded to it the, the drop off between their Metropolitano performances and results uh, to away from home is, is quite off-putting uh, failed to win at Celtic failed to win at Lazio in the group stage managed just 14 points from a possible 36 away in La Liga just four wins in 12 um, and if you look at I think most significantly, they've managed just two away points from seven trips to top half teams. They failed to even score in four of those and scored a maximum of one goal in six of those seven. But I looked at the XG figures across those seven away trips to top half La Liga teams. They're averaging 0.97 expected goals and giving up 1.67. That's really the tipping point for me, really. Um, I think Inter have to be sort of considered the strong side here as they are by the market at 1.8. You can back Inter at 6-5 to on the sportsbook by including under three and a half goals, which ties in nicely with Stinch's angle too. Um, But uh, you you sort of referenced violence at the start there. Um, Istvan Kovacs is the referee, the Romanian. He's hit four cards or more in 25 of his last 
34 UEFA club games, averages close to five cards in both Champions League and Europa or European club duty. Unfortunately, over five and a half cards, there's still odds on here. Um, I do like Kovacs. I do like both teams to contribute. It could get a little bit naughty, but um, the price that stood out to me actually is in the specials. You can get 10 to 11 on both teams to commit a foul inside the first 10 minutes, which feels like it's got a, a puncher's chance, I think. I think both sides will be eager to sort of stamp their authority on this game early doors. And uh, yeah, close to evens on a, on a foul for both sides in the first 10. Um, I, I'll cheer that on. Yeah, sounds good to me. Uh, Mark, I'm going to stick with you for the uh, Peter Boss Classico. His PSV Eindhoven <laughs> team take on his old Borussia Dortmund side. He wasn't the Dortmund coach for very long. Um, Mark, it feels like it should be a tie with plenty of goals. Dortmund are a funny team, commentated on them at the weekend. They, they tend to have spells of games off just to relax and just enjoy themselves. And then they wake up. They're a very odd team. Really odd team, yeah. I mean, when the draw was made, this looked the tightest of the the last 16 matchups and the market tended to agree. If you look at the, the match prices here, as well as the to qualify prices, it's, it's quite hard to really sort of nail your colours to either team with with confidence, I find. Um, uh, and yeah, I found this probably the difficult, most difficult of all four we're going to discuss this week. And, you know, PSV and Bosch deserve immense credit for what's been a, an incredible campaign, really. They've only dropped points twice domestically and recovered from a really ropey start away at Arsenal uh, to go unbeaten in their next five Champions League games and qualify. Pretty unstoppable in the era of VC, but I do think they've been perhaps a, a little bit fortunate in Europe and playing Arsenal last in Eindhoven yeah. when Arsenal had already qualified is a big helping hand. Um, Sevilla obviously have endured a horrendous campaign. Uh, they took four points off Sevilla, but if you look at those matches, they scored three goals in the final sort of five, ten minutes of both of those ties to sort of turn the tables to collapse. Yeah, Sevilla completely points. collapsed, didn't they, in one of the games? Didn't they have somebody sent off or something? But they collapsed late on in yeah. one of the games, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So they weren't overly convincing against Sevilla in either clash. And then the games against Lons were, were really sort of tight affairs. And you kind of compare their journey to Dortmund, who recovered from a kind of expected defeat in Paris to take top spot in the group of death. Um, surprise me. Um, I had them sort of finishing bottom of that pool. And they were really excellent at times as well. Those eye-catching wins in Newcastle and Milan, holding PSG at home when PSG you know, went into that game, arguably needing a, a result to qualify. And they only conceded four goals in the group. So this is why they're so annoying. Dormant. They're really <laughs> annoying to watch because you know the potential's there. You just want to shake them a lot of the time because... They have uh, amazing players going forward. They've got that defensive strength, but they just have really dumb sections of games where they just switch off. Well, yeah, the, the game against Wolfsburg you, you referenced at the weekend, you know, they had a lot of good chances in that game, but they also gave away a hell of a lot of opportunities too to Wolfsburg, especially in the second half. And, and Terzic admitted after the game he was very disappointed with their performance. And their, their away performances in the Bundesliga have been average Trash. at best yeah I mean, four away league wins uh, for a side chasing top four if not more not good enough um, and, and one of those is at Darmstadt one of those was at Köln yeah. and they're both awful yeah their record against the Bundesliga top six reads two draws three defeats and 13 goals conceded um so it's hard to know what you're going to get from them. Uh, Ian Matheson, I think, has made a real contribution to the side. Jaden Sancho should improve things as well. But I still have my lingering doubts about them. Um, I think the question, are they trustworthy? 
not for me. Um, but at the same time, I've got question marks over PSV. So the way in which I kind of approached this game, yeah, I, I thought both sides would kind of have a go at this and, and potentially there could be goals in this game. But the market's already on top of that. And I actually think, based on Dortmund's Champions League displays, and actually Eindhoven's as well, if you look at the the games that really mattered when the pressure was on, they were tighter than perhaps we anticipated they might be. So um, just have a, a dart at a bigger price here. So I looked at the, the draw and I looked at partnering it with under two and a half goals, effectively ruling out the two all and three all, uh, backing the nil-nil and the one-one. Uh, it boosted it from about 3.8 to, to 5.6. Um, you know, 5.6 for a, for a nil-nil or a one-one, I'm, I'm happy to sort of cheer that on, but my attention will probably be elsewhere. Yes, yeah, it's just a strange one, this, isn't it? Because... There are kind of really good things about both sides, but also flaws. I mean, one of the flaws of PSV, just in general, is Peter Boss's slavish adherence to the way he plays because he's always going to go gung-ho. There's always going to be gaps. I know what Mark's talking about, about them being a bit tighter in some of the games, but in general, he only plays one way. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that when we consider that PSV only won two group games to get here. And Dortmund managed to get over the hurdle of a group containing PSG, AC Milan and Newcastle. And yet PSV is six to five faves. But, you know, you guys both covered it really well that Dortmund are just this complete Jekyll and Hyde team, not match to match, within matches. Within like, a game, yeah. <laughs> it's just it's just crazy. Like, you, you know, you, you can't trust them to do anything um regularly basically and live up to the, the ability of some of the players that as you mentioned that they have um over two and a half goals is eight to 13 but again based on like what i said earlier regarding first legs and how i think dortmund might approach this or or rather terzic might approach this i i don't think that's a foregone conclusion I, i'm looking at under three asian goals here around about 1.8 so you only need four goals for the for the bet to lose completely and i i just think given the fact that you know I feel like the, the the way the odds are priced up here is if the PSV are going to be the PSV of the Eredivisie, not the one that we'll probably see and we've seen in the Champions League. And that's nothing. That's nothing against them or how they play. It's just that the quality is a is a bit is a is a huge gap between the Eredivisie yeah, and course. the Champions League. You know, they they only won one home game, which was one 0 versus Lons. And, and if you look at Dortmund in the Champions League under Terzic. Their approach, I think, will be to try and keep things tight. I mean, we, we remembered them away at PSG, for example. They didn't do anything for an hour. And then they're like, oh, we're 2-0 down. Maybe we should start attacking. Like, I, I think that's exactly how it's going to go. And, and, and 10 of their last 11 in the Champions League, home and away, have gone under 2.5 goals. And it's only been an average of 1.64 goals. So can definitely see it being being lower scoring than the 8-13 to 13 on over 2.5 goals. Um Maybe a, uh, a good template would be the one that they were at Leverkusen, where they where they picked up a one-all draw and actually managed to stop the juggernaut of Leverkusen. That wasn't necessarily um, down to them. Maybe Leverkusen weren't quite on fire uh, that day. But if you look at PSV, perhaps in the Eredivisie against better teams, maybe that gives us an idea of what happens when the the gap in quality is is closer. Uh, I mean, they played both Ajax and, and Feyenoord recently, and obviously Ajax haven't been that great. Jordan Henderson's Ajax. Um, yes, as we now have to call them. <laughs> exactly. I mean, what an unveiling for a player of uh, who's just about to retire. But anyway. Um, Fastest selling Ajax shirt in history, they've been telling us, apparently. Unbelievable. That that, that can't be true. Um, 
Well, maybe Jordan bought them all with all the money. Uh, anyway, um, <laughs> they only, they only he never got any money, apparently, so we <laughs> yeah. keep getting told. <laughs> yeah, it's a Saudi credit card. Um, yes. But they only drew 1-1 with, uh, with Ajax, and then in, against Feyenoord in the Cup, they lost 1-0. So I think, I basically think, yeah, based on everything we we know in terms of how first legs go and how Dortmund will approach this and how PSV play against better teams, I think there's a better chance of a lower scoring game than the market suggests. Lewis, what's your take on this one? Because... Dortmund have some attacking players in form. Niklas Fulkrug's been scoring lots of goals. I think he's got six in five. In 2024, Daniel Marlin's been brilliant. Had a bit of a knee injury at the weekend, so they rested him instead of risking him. And he's up against his old club. They've got some good attacking players playing well. Yeah, I totally agree. I'm sailing against the tide here a little bit. I I, I made Dortmund one of the strongest fancies of the weekend, uh, the midweek uh, card here on the draw. No bet at five to four with the sports book. So it's a bet we'd only lose money on if. Uh, PSV win um, so I think this is a huge step up in class um, for PSV taking on Dortmund with the, the, the level of player that you just mentioned there um, this isn't the Eredivisie this is this is, this is is serious stuff and I think I, th- I think Dortmund are, are just simply the better side I mean they've only lost I know you've, you've been quite negative on, on Dortmund's ability to throw in a, a wobbly moment in a match now and again but they've only lost twice away from home in 12 games across the Bundesliga and Champions League this season so that was at PSG and Stuttgart um, finished top of their group so-called group of death one at Milan one at Newcastle um, domestically also managed to draw it by Leverkusen just one of two teams in 17 games to stop Leverkusen winning at home so that reads um, quite quite strong for me and I've just got serious doubts about the strength of the, of the form in the, in, the, in the Dutch league when it comes transferred back to the tra- Champions League I mean no Dutch team has made the final for 28 years now and that was the vintage era of the Ajax team of like De Boer and Edgar Davids, Van der Sar. I mean, this, they're nowhere near the levels of, of that now. Um, I've also got serious doubts about the strength of the form from their group games. I managed to catch a couple of them actually. And they, I mean, they saw off Sevilla who are 15th in La Liga, having a dreadful season. Lons are 6th in League One. Um, and PSV managed to finish behind Arsenal. But they lost both the games on the XG to Lons. And there was some, as I think you mentioned, there was some dramatic late twists in the, the games versus Sevilla. Very fine margins those those sort of four games against those teams. And they were absolutely taken to the cleaners by Arsenal at the Emirates. Um, I think it was 4-0 in the end. And that that high line that uh, Peter Bosch decides to play quite religiously just got absolutely exposed. Um, and I, th- I think that's the, the main angle for this game, actually. I can see Dortmund, um, were very, very sort of nippy, powerful, um, quick attackers. And they're going to threaten that PSV um, high line. And the teams that play a high line seem to do um, get away with it against the, the lesser teams. But when you come up against an elite opposition that know how to pick pick those passes, it, it becomes a different it comes a different game altogether. And I know you mentioned Donnell Marlin there and he's he's perfect for this type of this type of test where he's going to have lots yeah, of space to run into. I, I think um he's definitely quick to take um, advantage of that high line. I you say was he just rested at the weekends? I saw he didn't play. So he's, he's yeah, he it was said a, to Terzic on the morning of the game my knee doesn't feel quite right and he's had a few knee issues before so they went fine. We'll name you as part of the subs but realistically we're not going to bring you on and so he sat the game out. So unless anything dramatic has happened since then I would expect him not only to be available but to start the game. Yeah, I think he's I think he's the, the, the key man here. I think he's going to he's going to really relish that 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 high line and that, the 11 to 4 for him to score any time looked a, a bet to me along with the the Dortmund um 
draw no better. I mean, as you say, he's, he's having a good season. He scored four in his last four starts. Um, he's averaging a goal every sort of eight, um, 180 minutes again. So that I think Marlon's pace and just the the the, the creative the creative midfielders that Dortmund possess. I, I think they can expose PSV's high line. I think they're a fantastic bet on the draw no bet at five to four. Yeah, Lewis has agreed with me on Daniel Marlon, so he's now officially forgiven for his Lautaro dissing earlier in the show. That's all we have time for on this edition of Football Only Better. Please do remember to gamble responsibly. All of our normal weekend previews will be available later this week. In terms of the European action, we've got all of the Champions League, Europa League, Europa Conference League games covered. Uh, we'll have uh, all of that for you on our website, betting.betfair.com. Loads of quality previews reviews on there all of our shows on our youtube channel of course for non-racing content make sure you like and subscribe from lewis from stinch from mark and from me it's goodbye for now